Hello and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This is a message given by Tom Job on Sunday morning, November 14th, 2021, from the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 1. I wanted to read to you guys out of Matthew chapter 1. So I got this... Uh, can, I just, can I just explain something real quick? About a year ago, well, in the past year... I listened to this lecture by um, by a man. He's he's a he's one of he's a dean at Reformed Theological Seminary, which is a very biblical seminary. He's an um, an African American scholar who has written a lot of important books about um, the biblical basis for the civil rights movement and. Um, but he said in the course of this lecture, he said, um, okay, so when you think about our faith, the Christian faith, there are essential things that you have to believe to be a Christian. You have to believe. It's essential that you believe, for example, that we believe that the Bible says there is one God who exists in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's essential, you have to believe it. You have to believe that Jesus was Almighty God and became a human being, came into our world to die a torturous death to pay for us, to pay for all of our wrong. And that it was, as theologians say, a substitutionary atonement. And that he rose from the dead. This is essential, you have to believe that. And that he rose from the dead. And that he's alive today. And that you have eternal life through simply believing in him. It's a gift, that is an essential to our faith. And that he's coming again one day to take us home. That is an essential of our faith. He said, these are essential. I believe they're all essential. And you have to believe them. But he said, there is no place in the scriptures that say that those are the essential things. There's no place that has a list. These are the essential things that you have to believe. He said they are, and I believe they are, and you have to believe them. But it doesn't ever say that. He said what the, Bi what, what the Bible says is essential to the Christian faith, we pretty much say is optional. He said, for example, Micah, Micah 6, 8, what does God require of you that you act justly, that you love mercy. It's essential. And that you walk humbly with God. Like First John said, it's essential to our Christian faith that you be a person who's willing to admit when you're wrong. If you can't, it's probably not a real faith. Um, love is essential, John says. And if you hate people, it's, it, it's probably not a real faith because love is essential to the Christian faith. And so, anyway, it just gave me an idea that if you, that if you believe certain concepts that are essential to the Christian faith, it will change you in essential ways. So anyway, okay, I'm ready. Okay, this is, this is Matthew chapter one. That was all to kind of explain what's going through my brain. Okay, so this is Matthew chapter one. Okay, so this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came, did that make sense what I just explained? Pretty good, okay. So, so um, before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and 
yet he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what has been conceived of her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son and you will give them the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place what the Lord had said through the prophets, a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he didn't consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Lord, help us to, oh golly, help me to not make a mess of this. And oh, I feel like my brain's just spinning in a million directions. So help me to... Um, Help us to understand what you're trying to say to us about essential ways that we should be different if we believe the deeply beautiful things that we actually do believe. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so um, I'm going to try to do this in 21 minutes. But they, so um, I have a reputation when I give a message, I do not think is entirely justified, but that I quote from movies that I have never seen. Um, and, but I don't think that's true so much. With that said, there is a, an amazing scene from the amazing series, um, Doctor Who. Where there's what what where there's a seven this seven year old girl named Amy Pond and she is kneeling by her bed and she's praying to Santa and she said. Dear Santa, thank you so much for the dolls and the pencil and the fish. I know it's Easter now. I don't mean to wake you up, but this is an emergency. I needed to send somebody to help me. There's a crack in my wall, and um, my aunt said that's just normal, but at night I hear people, so I need you to help me. So that was just, that's an amazing show. I've never seen it. I've never seen it. But there, so, but the idea of like Santa, like being confused in your theology, like, and um, I remember that. Like, I remember uh, thinking about the Trinity. We used to sing, I grew up in a church where they sang those hymns, like, holy, 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 God in three persons. And I just thought, Santa, where, where, in my mind, he was like a junior partner or something like that, you know, but. I just, so when I, we would go to see Santa, I would, um, and my parents would take me, and I was supposed to go, like, sit on his lap, but I thought, he sees me when I don't see him. He's, like, watching me all the time. He knows if I'm naughty or nice, and I'll be rewarded accordingly. Shouldn't I be, like, bowing, like, more like that, or rather than just, like, sit on his lap? Like, shouldn't I, like, you know, like, and ask him stuff in a more appropriate way. And then when you do you know, wind up on his lap, I'm thinking, with all you have to do, should you really be smoking as many cigarettes as you're smoking? I'm like, wait, wait. And then I realized that wasn't the real Santa, so it all kind of um, came together in my mind. But, but it's kind of like if you believe certain things, like you would act inappropriate, it would change the way you act. Like if I really, really believe something, it would change the way I am. So like, if I really believe, like if a person really believes in what the Bible says about praying to God, like you can go into the presence of Almighty God anytime you can ask him anything if you believe in Jesus and just say, help me with this, help me with that. If I really believe that, I would like do it. 
Like, if I don't ever really do that, no matter what I say, I probably don't really believe that. That one of my greatest heroes of all time was a man named Hudson Taylor, who went to be a missionary in China when there were probably about 90 missionaries in China at the time in 1855. And when, by the time he died in, I think, 1911, there were um, his own group that he had started, they had over a thousand missionaries in China. And one thing about them is that you could never like raise like what they call raise money or raise, you could never ask anybody to support you or ask anybody for money because he believed in praying and he said that all we have to do is pray. And that's what they did and that God would give us all the money that we need. He said, our heavenly father is an experienced one. He knows that his children wake up with an appetite and he never sends them to bed on an empty stomach. He said he kept three million Israelites. He fed them every day for 40 years in the wilderness. If we had three million missionaries, I don't think it's gonna happen, but if we had three million missionaries with the China Inland Mission, he is sufficient to be able to feed all of us because he's promised to do it. He said, because God's work done in God's way will never lack for God's supply. So anyway, so if I really, really believe that, I would, that you could just talk to God and ask him for stuff, I would do it. And if I don't, I probably don't really believe that all that much. And it helps me to understand if I believe an essential thing, it will change me in essential ways. It kind of helps me to understand verses and scriptures that seem like they're kind of maybe in conflict with each other and they don't really make sense together. Like for example, um, in Ephesians chapter one, it says that we are forgiven. When you believe in Jesus, you're completely forgiven of everything you've ever done, do, or will do. And it's a, and it's, it, it, it says it's by the riches of his grace. Like it's a free gift. You just, all you believe in Jesus, do is believe in Jesus. And you're given the gift of being completely forgiven of everything you've ever done, do, or will do. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter six, if you don't forgive other people, God won't forgive you. And it's like, wait a minute, I thought it was a gift. I mean, I thought you just get it. I didn't know I had to do like forgive people to get it. And I, the way I understand that is if you believe essential things, it'll change you in essential ways. And if I really, really believe that I have been forgiven of everything I've ever done, ever thought, if I really believe that, and I know stuff about myself that you don't know, that you know thoughts I've had and stuff, and God has forgiven me. God knows stuff about me that I don't know, and he's forgiven me for If I really, really believe that I'm forgiven of all that, if I really believe that, how would I ever not forgive someone for like one thing that they did to me? Like if I can't forgive someone, I probably don't believe very well, you know, that I've been forgiven of all my junk, or, you know, uh, Jesus said, don't judge, or you'll be judged. The measure, the way you judge are the people, you're going to be judged that way. But Paul said, wait a minute, like, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Jesus himself said, he that believes in, here's my word, believes in him who sent me, has everlasting life, will not come into judgment, but has already passed from death to life. So on the one hand, it says, we're not going to be judged, Ever if we believe in Jesus, and yet Jesus said, if we judge other people, we'll be judged in that way. So which is it? And I think it's both. Like it, if I actually do believe the message of the good news of Jesus, that when I believe in Jesus, I'll never be judged again for anything I've ever done. If I really, really believe that, I would never judge anybody. Like how would I ever dare judge anybody, like judge their motives or talk about them behind their back? Because I'm not going to be judged for like a whole world of stuff. So if I judge people or gossip about them, 
I might believe the gospel, but I don't believe it very good. You know what I mean? I need to believe it a little bit better because I really have no right to ever judge anybody as long as I live. So anyway, I got thinking about essential things that we believe about, about Jesus. And if I really, really believe those, I would essentially be different in significant ways. So like the week before this past one, um, I talked about like, like in order to be, in order to be a Christian, you have to believe that Jesus is a, risen from the dead, that he's alive, that he's like, he's alive today. And He's like our shepherd and we're like following him and he leads us like Jesus is alive. He's alive from the dead and he's leading us and he's leading me and he's leading us into new things and teaching us new things and changing us all the time. If I really, really believe that, I would be essentially always, the word I picked was the word repentant because repentant means um, to change the way you think. I'm going to be learning stuff the whole time. I'm gonna be learning about attitudes and opinions and values that I've had that I got from maybe my family or my friends or maybe church growing up that aren't right. And I need to be able to learn and to rethink. So that's gonna be a constant thing. So then last week, um, we were just talking about like, if I really believe that Jesus, when he died that horrible death, he was dying for me. Like he died to pay for the world, but he died to pay for me. If I really, really believe that, um, because um, he loved me and he wanted you and me, I would be essentially thankful for the rest of the minutes I have on this earth. Like, I'm just thankful. I'm not going to complain. I probably shouldn't complain about anything ever again. I should be like, be in hell. I'm never going to go there because Jesus went there for me. Um, how am I not like super thankful every day? If I really, really believe that, I will be essentially a thankful person. So that takes us from Easter to Good Friday. And now we're at Christmas. So if I believe in Christmas, how would I be essentially different? So it says that shepherds were in, Luke says, shepherds were in their fields keeping watch over their flock by night. And they were doing what their dads did, what the granddads did, what the great granddads did. And it was super boring. And then all of a sudden, one night, an angel of the Lord appeared unto them. And like, I don't, like, when I say that, like, what immediately comes to your mind? Like, this angel, it was just like this, um, probably looks like, like, a Swedish guy, you know, with wings, like a super long blonde hair, like a young Franz Liszt, you know, it probably was nothing like that. And, uh, and the angel said unto them, behold, don't be, not, don't, don't be afraid. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And then there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts, and then they went away. And then they said, let us go there on to Bethlehem and see this thing. And so they run to Bethlehem, they find out where the baby is, and they look at this baby, and they were like, okay, so I have a new, um, I have a new um, step-granddaughter in my life, and she's five years old, and she is the most excited person 
I know. And this summer, we were at the swimming pool, and she loves her Aunt Mary. And Mary got out, came, we were at the pool, and she saw Mary in the parking lot, and she was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. That's not exactly what she said, but she said, it's Mary, Mary's here, everybody. Mary's here, oh my gosh, Mary's here. You know, and it's just like, she was so excited, oh my gosh. Well, so like these shepherds, when they got to the, when they saw the baby, they were like, oh my God, oh my God. This baby, because he was their God. He was almighty God. The promise was that he would be Emmanuel, which means God with us. Iman means with, Imanu means with us. El means Elohim. Almighty God with us. Isaiah said, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name will be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. Almighty God. John said, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. When Thomas, when Jesus rose from the dead, about the week after he appeared to his buddies, he appeared to them again with Thomas, and Thomas said, my Lord and my God. God, you are almighty God. There's a, in, in Acts chapter 20, verse, I think 28 maybe, where Paul talks to some friends and he said, they were like responsible for the churches that he started there. And he said, he said, shepherd the flock of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And I think when did God shed his blood? Jesus was almighty God. Shedding his blood like almighty God, became a human fetus, became a human baby, like the one who spoke worlds into being, was a baby who was just crying so hard, his little diaphragm was going in and out. Almighty God, drinking mother's milk that he invented that has like 200 different kinds of fatty acids and 400 kinds of proteins and it's just like perfect for a baby that he grew up and like standing on a box helping his mom in the kitchen almighty god a little boy helping his mom almighty god a little boy walking to school almighty god coming home from school and feeding the chickens almighty god having a carpenter shop talking to one of his customers who was complaining about the cabinets that Jesus made. And Jesus is thinking, Elias, my work is perfect. It's always, per it's always perfect. You know, but it's just like almighty God became a human being. And the angel told Joseph he would do it to save us. Like the word save is a word that means rescue. Like, not to tell us stuff. Like, we, it's, we don't need advice anymore. We don't need anybody to show us how to do this. It's too late for that. There's a, there's a place in, like, in the Harry Potter books, like in the Weasley house, that, they, that, Mar, that Molly Weasley has this clock. And it doesn't have hands. It has hands, but it has, like, everybody in the Weasley family is one of the hands. And it tells you where they are, like, you know, that Ron is, like, either at home or at Hogwarts or on the Quidditch or in the garden. But there's one place when her husband, Arthur, 
He was, his hand was at mortal peril. He was in mortal peril. And we were in mortal peril. And Almighty God became a human being to save us from our sin, sin. And it's like, you know, people say that word all the time. What does it really mean? It's not what's bad stuff that we do and disobeying God and all that, but like, what is it really? Um, it's hard to define it. Like when you try to define a word like that, like I don't know how helpful it really is for us to try to break down ancient words out of language that we don't really speak and stuff. But, that, but some scholars say the word for sin is a word, it comes from the word no. And another word that is often translated place, sometimes in the New Testament, it's translated district or region or country. And it's kind of like the idea that what we call sin means um, we're out of place, which kind of makes sense because like Jesus told three stories one time when some people were asking, why do you hang around with all these sinners you hang around with? And Jesus came to save people from their sins, so it's good to hang around people who kind of know they are. But he said, he told them three stories about a man who had 100 sheep and he lost one. A woman had 10 coins that were part of a, some, most scholars believe that was part of a necklace that women wore that was kind of part of, that it was kind of like a wedding ring and around her neck and a man had two sons and he lost one. And the sheep wandered away and it was far from the flock. And the coin fell, and it was far from its place, close to the heart. And the son ran away and was far from home. And God created us so that he would have a place in our heart, and we would have a place in his home. And since the very beginning of this, Neither one of us have been in the place we belong. Um, I've often thought about, like, if you know, how do you think about sin? I mean, I just think I, I've, it's helped me to think about it this way: like, God created us, like, def, you know, dependent beings with lots of needs, um, and the idea would be that he would meet our needs in beautiful ways and we would love him more and we would feel more at home with him just as he meets our needs, you know? Like, he, like we have needs for, you know, food and friends and safety and like sexual needs and needs for worth and value and all that. So like God gives us needs for food and then meets them in beautiful ways. I mean, he could have created us so that we, you know, when you get hungry, you just go outside and photosynthesize. I mean, it wouldn't be very cool. We'd be, you'd be green most of the time, but instead he created us with hunger and gives us delicious food. I think about, like, somebody asked me, where do you find real, where would you go in Knoxville to get real authentic Italian food? The only place I could think of was McGee Tyson Airport. Um, it would cost you $1,300 and an eight-hour flight. We were watching this thing. Tina and I were watching this thing on PBS, and it was a girl that, um, it was a girl, I think she's Syrian, but she's traveling the world and, and, um, about food, and she was in Italy, and she went to a factory where they make Parmesan cheese, the Parmigiano Reggiano Quilovero, the real one. And, she, and after about 13 years, they, they it aged it, and they cut a slice, and she ate it. 
this is so stupid. She started to cry. And we started to cry too because it's so good, you know. And then, you know, you think about sex, like God, it was sexual needs and the idea that in his time and in his way, he brings a person into your life and, and you wait on him, you know, and he could have created us so that you just kind of split in two like an amoeba. And, you know, that wouldn't have been that awesome. And I remember one time seeing, it was a far side cartoon that showed an amoeba watching TV and on the screen there was an amoeba splitting in two and the caption was the amoeba Playboy channel. But the, um, um, but instead, like, you know, like he invented sex, this complicated thing that's just, but it's awesome and fun and sweet and glues people together if they wait for his time and for his way. But people say, I don't want your time. I don't want to do this. I don't want to be all dependent. I just, I want to do this my way. I, do, I want to do this my way. I don't want to be dependent. I feel like a baby, or I don't know what it is, but people say, I don't want to be dependent on God. Then we still have these needs. We're not going to depend on him. Something broke between us that couldn't be fixed. And now you have a world full of people with these God-given needs, but they're not going to depend on him. And they're going to get him met at the expense of everybody else. And everybody using everybody as disposable consumer goods. And just, you know, and it's just a disaster. We've made a disaster of this world of just using people and throwing them away. And Jesus, almighty God, we've ruined it. It's ruined. It's ruined. We've ruined this world. But he loved us still and he came to fix it. And almighty, to pay the consequences, to bear the consequences of what we did and to pay for the guilt, the scent of all the guilt for being independent that way and using each other in this horrible way, the way this world works like that. It was an infinite weight and infinite penalty. The infinite God was the only one who could bear it. And if he was bearing it for humans, he had to become a human and do it. So that we could be forgiven, we could start over and be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done, do, or will do. And love him. And invite him to take his place in our heart again. And I mean, we pretty much ruined this world. But he's promised that one day, he'll take us home to be with him again. And he committed to that. Like he committed, once Jesus, once Almighty God became a human fetus in the uterus of a young, of a teenage girl, once he became a baby laying under the stars that he spread out, there was no, there was no going back. He committed to this. He committed to it. I mean, when the wise men came, the wise men, like, I don't know, there's probably 130 of them. There was, a, it, there was a bunch of them. And they came to Jerusalem, and they said, where is he who was born, the king of the Jews? And Herod the king asked, the, like, the scribes, like, the, the, big, the Bible students and scholars, where is he going to be born? Oh, Micah chapter, Micah, just Micah chapter 5 said he's going to be born in Bethlehem, be born six miles down the road, just go on down there. Where's the, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, where was that? Why didn't they say, oh my gosh, why didn't they go to see the baby and get on their knees and say, oh my God, God, this is my God. 
who has come here. He is committed to this. So that I would give him a place in my heart. And one day he would come and take me home. So it, it makes me think about, um, there's a place in, in John chapter 14 where Jesus, right before he was ready to, to pay for us, and he said to his guys, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, you believe in me. In my father's house, there's a lot of apartments, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself, and I'll take you home with me. And a lot of scholars think that that's really kind of referring to um, the way weddings were. Like a young man, like Joseph, for example, he kind of falls for Mary. You know, he's 14, she was 12, whatever. And he commits himself to her and says, I give, I give every, I'm going to give my life, everything to you if you'll be a part of my life. And then for a year, while he's working his job, in the evenings at his father's house, he was building, this is what they did, they would build like an addition onto his father's house for them. And then when he decided with his friends, one night he would get on a white horse and with, and they would, with torches and stuff, and they would have a parade through the street, and her friends would go to her house and say, he's coming, he's coming, this is it. I mean, she didn't know when the wedding was. It's, only he knew. He's coming for you. So she would get all ready, and he would pick her up and take her to his father's house, and there they would take their vows, you know, and they would be together. He was committed to her, but, um, except she had to commit to that also. Like she would say, yeah, I'm committed to this too. And I think that, I mean, I guess that's what I'm trying to say is that if I really believe in Christmas, if I really believe that Almighty God, he was committed when he became a human being so that he could have his place in my heart so that I can eventually one day have a place in his home when he comes to take us home. I'd be committed to it too. I'm committed, aren't you? We're committed to this, right? Like we're committed, like in the time, like I think about a young, like a, a, like a young engaged person in the time that they're waiting for the wedding to happen, they would basically be learning to love that person and learning to leave, learning to like leave their home, that it's not really their home anymore because they're gonna go home with their love. And I basically feel like That's what we're doing. That we're, I'm just in the time that we have. I just feel like this isn't really my home anymore. You know, I just I don't really, you know what I mean? I'm going home. My love is coming to get me and I'm going home. And in the meantime, I'm learning to love him and I've kind of thrown myself in with him so that all the stuff, you know, you know like when two people like are in love. My stuff isn't my stuff, it's my stuff and her stuff. Like it's, we share it together. My stuff isn't mine anymore. It's his, it's mine and his. 
It doesn't belong to me. And I'm really leaving it anyway. I don't, I'm leaving this, I'm leaving here anyway. Someday when he comes to get us, we're gonna be leaving here. It's not our home anymore. We're gonna go home then. So I don't really care about things that much. I don't really care about money that much, right? I mean, I don't, if I really, really believed that we're committed to each other and he's coming to take me home one day and I'm learning to love him now, I don't really care. I mean, you know, stuff is cool, but I don't love it and I'm happy to give it and I'm just giving stuff up and I'm just showing Jesus that I love him and that he has a place in my heart and I can't wait to go home and I'm just kind of giving everything to him um, because I don't feel at home here anymore. I'm gonna love him as much as I possibly can in the time that I'm here. I'm gonna invest my time in it. I'm gonna invest my money in it. I'm gonna invest my stuff in it. I, because he's committed to me and I'm committed to him. And if I believe that Almighty God became a human being, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, he did. To have a place in my heart and to take me home, I will be essentially a giving person. Just give it to him and let him have it. There was a woman, um, There was a, there's, there was a woman, uh, she was born in 1855 in West London. She was super wealthy. Um, kind of like Downton Abbey, those people. But she loved Jesus. She came to love Jesus as a teenager, grew to love him more and more. She started working with prostitutes and helping with the YWCA in West London, helping prostitutes come to know Jesus and have like a new life. And she loved her work and she loved serving the one that she loved. And she knew one day she was gonna go home and be with him. She was a beautiful painter though. Her name was Lilius Trotter. And one time she was in Venice with her mother and there was a man there named John Ruskin who was the leading art critic in the English speaking world for the last 200 years. He was like the leading art critic of all. And Lily's mother sent a note to his hotel room saying, my daughter is a painter. I would love for you to look at his, her paintings. And he's like, oh brother, she's a watercolor painter. He was floored by her. And he told her, in his book, he said, I never, in his art critic book, he said, I never really believed that women could paint. But after meeting Lilius Trotter, I don't believe that anybody else but women can. Um, and he told her, you could be the greatest painter of modern times, but you have to give your life to painting and I will make you the greatest painter in the Western world. And she said she felt for two days, like it was like intoxicating. And after that, she felt like it turned into a suffocating nightmare. 
all she wanted to do was to serve Jesus and his kingdom. It's all she wanted to do in the world. And if she had to give up painting to do it, she would gladly do it. And she did. And she and two other women went to Algeria. And she spent 40 years in Algeria, learning Arabic, writing children's books in Arabic, and the Arabic that they could speak and kids could learn and teach. And she painted beautiful paintings of Algeria. But all her life was given to serve the one who had a place in her heart and the one who one day came to take her home. It's all she cared about in her life was loving kids and loving him. She said, it gave me a grand independence of soul, the liberty of those who have nothing to lose because they have nothing to keep. Lord Jesus, I like, if there's some reason why we don't understand, why it's hard for us to be amazed at the, at the unbelievable commitment you made, and that you didn't turn back, and that Almighty God became a human being to save us, to rescue us from the mess that we were, from the ruin we've made of this world. If there's something that keeps us from loving you, from just understanding that, will you help us? Help us be amazed. Help us be astounded. Help us to be committed. Help us to care about nothing in this world but loving you while we're here. Learning to love and learning to love. In your precious name. Take my life and let it be. Consecrated.
shall be no longer.